Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad that you chose to take the time to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. If you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're so excited that you've joined us. Here is how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have a guest with us who's also a Small Group Points person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were, how we're incorporating them into our lives, leaderships, or our small groups. To help me with today's book is Daniel Thomas from Community Church of Mountain City in Mountain City, Tennessee. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here with you. What What would you say is your favorite thing about Mountain City? The people. The people? Yeah. What part of Tennessee? We like to say we're the whole point of Tennessee. So if you look at the map, <laughs> uh, it's a very no- farthest northeast in Tennessee as you can get the whole okay. upper northeast corner where it just comes to a point. That's awesome. So you get to take advantage of then like North Carolina, Virginia and Tennessee. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That that sounds like a great trifecta. Yeah. Um, Daniel is a man of many hats. Daniel, how many hats would you say you own? I don't know. A few. Probably no more than anybody else in today's <laughs> uh, in today's world. Um, yeah. All, all jokes aside, he really does a lot. He's an executive pastor at his church. He runs his own business. It's called No Better Coffee, which fuels me personally every day. And he's also our events director for the small group network. So all the events that we have going on, this is the guy who is, you know, the backbone to that. And uh, maybe the hardest job of, his, of all of them is being a friend to me. Uh, Daniel's the guy I run to when I when I get find myself in trouble. And I, I pray each of you find your Daniel, wherever that may be. And I'm a little biased. I think you'll find a look that potentially a little bit easier if you get involved with Small Group Network. You, there seems to be someone out there that you really relate to that mm. that uh, lasts beyond just the event that you go to. And mm. I think I might be forgetting you know his, his greatest roles, which is being an amazing father to his two kids, husband to his wife, Tia. Hi, Tia, who's probably listening in. Yeah, she she listens to all of your podcasts, Nick. Um, <laughs> she, re- she really enjoys listening to you. Nice. Cool. So, Daniel, why don't you share with us, how did you get involved with the Small Group Network? Yeah, man. So, I guess back in 2008, when I began, 2009, I began volunteering with groups at a church I was at. Guy was mentoring me. He says, hey, we need you to uh, to learn from some other people. And, you know, so he gave, us an, gave me an opportunity. I actually went out to Radicalis, which was a purpose-driven church conference back in 2008. 10, probably, I believe. Okay. Which is where I met Steve. And one of the first things Steve had said, he said, Hey, you need to be a part of this network and, you know, connect with some other people in in your region, in your area. You need to lead a uh, huddle and to create space for other uh, small group pastors. And I'm like, what's a small group pastor? And, you know, (laughs) you know, I came from a, uh, an environment where we really didn't have small groups previously, but the church I was at the, at that point did. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got connected with the network. Cool. True story. So I'm reading one of his books that he put out, one of the first books that someone gives me. And in his book, he talks about we all need mentors and we all need to learn from other people. And so I just text him because, you know, Steve gives his number away at all the conferences, right? And yeah. so I texted him, just said, hey, this is Daniel from Tennessee. And, you know, I've just been praying about, you know, hey, I'm looking for mentors. You mentor me. And I remember I was at my mother-in-law's house on a Tuesday evening and he texted me back and he just says, no, you know, in a fight, <laughs> eh? and I'm like. I can't believe he just told me no, that he wouldn't mentor me. I like, I've, I've got to learn from somebody, you know, that's why I was really naive and, and whatnot, but 
but yeah, so I, that also said, you know, well, I'll show him he's going to whether he likes it or not. And so I just began, can you, after I read that book, I read another book and I thought, well, he's already told me to be part of the network. So let's go figure out what that is. So I called up the <laughs> regional leader and, you know, and that was a yeah. gym one up in Maryland, I believe at the time and launched a huddle. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, so started the first huddle and the first huddle was, uh, you know, like many of the small groups I started, just me and one guy that had to drive an hour and a half. Uh, and awesome. oftentimes we just meet in the middle and for like a year and a half, like that was my huddle, me and one other guy. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got involved with the network and, um, just asking questions. And when someone says that's smarter than me says, here's what you need to do. You just go do it. Awesome. So you're currently the events director for the small group network. What type of events do we have and what's the difference between those? Yeah. So we have a few different events right now, actually, but you can actually break them down into two categories, the head and the heart. And our primary events, of course, is the lobby gathering, which is really more designed for the heart because that's where relationships occur. That's where we, you know, we, we hope and we pray that relationships form just like you and I, you know, that's where we met at and where this uh, an amazing uh, relationship came, stems from, actually. And so that the heart piece, the care, the nurturing, what really helps us to be sustainable in ministry comes from that. And then the head piece of it. You know, if you think about strategically the funnel, what we talk about in the in the Purpose Driven Church booklet, not we, like I had nothing to do with it, but what Rick presents and we do teach in our workshops, you got to have intentional strategy. So the funnel, the top part is the head, the bottom part's the heart. The head part is the accelerate uh, mm. workshop. And it's given us the 18 yes. month strategic plan. Uh, takes us through 22 questions that every small group point person really needs to answer no matter what strategy, no matter what uh, paradigm your church uses, yeah. we all have to ask these questions. And then there's also a couple of more. There's a couple of events um, that are geared towards a small group leader, uh, even uh, in that mm-hmm. sense. And then there's also a, a line and attain as well. The nice thing about Accelerate is that uh, those are pretty local and regional. Uh, those They happen throughout the country. So it's worth yeah. going to check our website and seeing the events page and you'll see where they're where they're popping up next. Absolutely. Cool. And then uh, you're also got us going with the SGN Cafe. Do you want to explain what the SGN Cafe is? Yeah. You know, so the SGN Cafe was kind of birthed out of a little bit of what I've been doing with uh, No Better Coffee, which was, as you mentioned earlier, it's one of the, you know, it's a business that I started and we really just began that to how do we create something that's able to add value to others. And so we've got that with the coffee and then just been praying about, hey, how can we partner with the network? So Developed a couple of blends. Derek actually called me up and said, Hey, could we create a couple of blends for one of our conferences just to give as a gift to, you know, maybe a host pastor or something? So I did that. And then, yeah, we just kept brainstorming. So now what we're doing actually, when you purchase, um, you know, coffee from the SGN Cafe, you know, we're putting that back into the network. And so, like, you know, today we scholarship to small group point people to the virtual wow, lobby awesome. gathering. And, you know, because, you know, when someone purchased coffee, we just kind of set that to the side and, Try to serve other target point people. I'm a big fan of SGN Cafe. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that fuels my morning every day, like I shared earlier. But uh, recently over Christmas, we decided to do that as gifts for our leaders. And they were thrilled to get a bag of coffee. And uh, we were able to put a, a nice message to go with it to, to really encourage them. That, mm-hmm. that was really helpful. But I think what I really enjoyed, too, was that getting to communicate to them that you know, part of these proceeds mm-hmm. are going to be going to help small group pastors become yep. develop better. And it's just the, the small group network is great at continuing to build this kingdom. And I love that, like 
you know, it's the the volunteers and the people doing this part time and, you know, those who are, who are fortunate to get to do this full time. Mm-hmm. The number of lives that they're impacting is huge. And so, um, yeah, just really yeah. appreciate everything. Yeah, and and so, it really is. And so, you know, we do that because we recognize that there's so many people out there from different walks of life and different different positions in life. Let me just put it that way. And so if we can just come alongside of any small group point person, maybe struggling a bit. How do we do that? And the great thing about the the cafe is so just like for yourself with the coffee there, we was able to personalize that, uh, brand it to you. And it still did the same thing, but it gave you and your leaders a great um, yeah. personalized gift uh, as well. So we like the flexibility of what we're able to add to that also. Cool. All right. Well, hey, let's get going here. Let's let's share with them with the book we picked for today. So uh, if this is the first time you're joining you, one of the things I love to do on this podcast is have our guest choose the book. And like I, like I shared earlier, Daniel and I have been friends for several years and he actually brought this book up to me like two or three years ago and hasn't shot up about it since. And I have, <laughs> I've been a bad friend and didn't read it until about a week ago. So Daniel, what book did we choose? So we chose Creativity Inc. Overcoming the Unforeseen Forces That Stand in the Way of True Inspiration. Nice. And this is by Edward Catmull. Who is Edward? So Edward's one of the founders of Pixar. Which he started back all the way back in like the 70s, right? Yeah. Really fascinating book. Like I just, I think I was sharing one of the best compliments to this book. It's 330 pages. Mm -hmm. I read it in three days. Just completely knocked it out because I couldn't put it down. It was so good. It was really engaging. If you're a fan of Pixar, like you get a nice little backside to the story, but I think one of the things that really surprised me about this book was I was expecting it to be extremely technical Mm -hmm. and it had so much to do about managing relationships, caring well for your people. And I I totally expect it to be artsy and and everything else that usually comes with with creativity or sorry, with with creativity. So, (laughs) Daniel, were you a fan of Pixar before this book? You know, I really can't say that I was. I was familiar with some of their movies, of course. You know, my son at the time when, you know, Finding Nemo came out, you know, my wife and I had that memorized because that's like on autoplay 24-7 <laughs> around the house. Uh, so I was familiar yeah. familiar with them, but I can't say that I was, a, you know, a true fan. So I was 10 when Toy Story came out. And I remember seeing Toy Story in the theater and just being blown away by it. Yeah. So I've been a I've been a fan very early on. And then naturally you're 10, you just you you have this trust for Disney um mm-hmm. and, and and Pixar. And so that just continued to grow. And and now I'm in a new era with that with my son and getting to watch these. I'm completely spoiled now with Disney Plus. Like yeah. I don't know that this kid realizes that like I think what's great is that my son isn't someone who's like we have to watch cars every single day. Mm-hmm. Like he actually goes through them all, which has been nice. Oh wow. Um I w- I would say I'm a Ratatouille guy. I think that's one okay. of my favorites. Inside Out is another one. Um and then Monsters Inc has like a a piece of my heart as well. Yeah. Yeah, but, I uh, think Monsters Inc was great of course cars. I'd say outside of finding new cars was probably our second uh favorite, but now you know, my daughter came to me the other day and she's like, hey, daddy, I want to watch Soul. And oh, Soul was so good. So, so yeah, it's probably next on our list. Uh, Do it. Of the, of the Pixar greats. Um, so, I mean, it's right in the title, right? Creativity Inc. Yeah. How would you say the author defines creativity? Well, that's the thing, right? He really doesn't in a sense. And that, now he kind of fleshes that out for us, if you yeah. will. But, you know, like one of the reasons I picked the book to read, even just for myself personally, is like, I'm not a creative person. Like I would say that. Uh, mm. cause like you said, as you said, 
a lot of people define creativity about artsy and like, I am not artsy whatsoever. <laughs> like nothing about me screams that. Uh, I see a wall and it served this purpose. Like my wife sees a wall and she sees so much amazing potential, right? Like she sees yes. color and she sees just things that make it pop. And I'm like, leave it alone. It's white. It serves its purpose. <laughs> and, but so I picked the book because, you know, working in the church, there's so many different personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to, you know, to, to serve within groups, we've got to work with many different um, teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, in our church at the time, you know, we had, we had a creative team and I'm like, I do not understand these people one bit, <laughs> but if I'm going to work with them, and we're going to have some synergy here. I need to, I need to learn something about how to, to work with creatives and maybe this book will help me learn how to yeah. lead better and help, you know, understand, create, you know, creative people better. But I was blown away because what I learned is actually I am creative uh, just in a different way, not artsy, but it's really more a book about creating culture and solving problems uh, yeah. than it is about, um, creativity yep. if you will first off for our listeners i'm really excited because you just got to hear daniel's heart so the, the pure reason that daniel read this book is because he wanted to care better for the creatives inside his church and that's why he picked up this book um so that, that tells you a lot of who he is i have a very similar story with that too where it's just like i feel like people have always someone wants to have authority of creativity and mm-hmm. that always drives me nuts because i I've actually always felt it. Our lead pastor is really passionate about this too, that like everybody is creative in their own ways. Um, I wish I could show you guys the, well, you probably don't want to see it, but I am super creative (laughs) when it comes to spreadsheets. (laughs) You know, being that I I used to work at JP Morgan and all that stuff. And so, um, you know, I can, I can really wizard my way around that. But um, I think that sometimes we limit what creativity is. And I love that they kind of, I mean, he says he doesn't define it, but pretty much this whole book is a and why it's Creativity Inc. is it's teaching you how to work through problems mm-hmm. and not just seeing a problem and then being defeated by it and turning away. Yeah. Um, I, I think it does a really good job with that. And so I think that actually kind of transitions a little bit with where, you know, if, if we're going to face a problem, right, Daniel? Mm-hmm. And often in order for us to be creative about it, it's going to mean that like or some of the reasons why we wouldn't face that problem mm-hmm. is because we feel it we fear we have fear mm-hmm. or that there it, there's failure um anything that you would want to add to that yeah no that's great so yeah you're right thing i love about creativity one of the things i learned about creativity is that we're always going to have problems to solve as a leader right like yeah if you're a leader like your job is to solve problems your job as a leader isn't to you know have people just throw strawberries your way, so to speak, and just all kinds of accolades. But no, your job is to solve problems. And so because there's so many different problems, you've got to get creative about how you solve those problems. And, you know, as we think about this, you know, talking about fear and failure, you're creating this culture and no one person can solve every problem. Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, your responsibility isn't to try to have all the answers but it's how can you bring a team of people around you and how can you create a culture that recognizes that, look, we're going to have problems and just let's accept that. And so as we have to accept that now, how can we create a culture where that we're not going to be afraid of failing and we're also not going to create a culture where there's fear in the sense that, oh, if I screw this up, I'm getting the ax mm-hmm. or if I mess up, then that I'm not going to be <laughs> valuable anymore. And so as leaders, yeah. you have to create the culture that you want and you either create a culture of fear or you create a culture where people, they don't like failure per se. 
but they understand that it's a natural part of just, it's just problems are going to happen. We're all going to fail if we're not feeling, we're not trying, but you've got to create that culture where the people understand that it's just natural part of moving forward. Mm -hmm. What would you say is a current problem that you're trying to tackle inside your ministry? Oh man. Current problem I'm trying to tackle inside the ministry is just, you know, how do I continue to learn to be more emotionally intelligent and to see what's not seen? And one of the things that, you know, comes out in the book and we may flesh this out a little bit more later is when you're promoted or when you have more responsibility uh, and in the church as you, you know, maybe you're a pastor however, but the more responsibility that's bestowed upon you, the harder it is to dis- discover the truth because everybody wants to put their best foot forward Yep, in front of you. And so one of the problems I'm trying to learn is, one, what are my blind spots? But then the other one too is just how do I see what's maybe not totally, how do I see the whole picture? Let me mm-hmm. just put it that way. Uh, and when I say see, I don't mean just like physically see, but I'm also thinking, how do I hear what's not being said? Yeah. How like, do I get honest feedback? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get honest feedback. So I think that's one of the, what I don't think I know. That's a couple of the problems I'm trying to solve right now and continue to work through. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would add for us, the thing that we're trying to, I think that's kind of in front of us and, and we were working through with my core team last night. My core team is the people that I think groups with um, that are volunteers within our church that um, are just also really passionate about groups one of the things we're trying to wrestle with is we've come to understand the importance of how much our interactions in the hallways used to be mm-hmm. at church. And yeah. because of COVID that's now gone. Yeah. And so we're trying to think through that problem of, all right, what does it look like to have those casual kind of like my leadership used to rely on like running into my leaders on a Sunday so that I could catch up with them and that's mm-hmm. gone. And I need to figure out how to replace that because it's it's how I got to know them better. It's how I let them know that I care and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so, you know, I'm a millennial. And so it's terrifying to pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also calling millennials who are terrified to answer the phone. Yeah. So it's one of those things of like, how do I how do I break through on that? And so, you know, I, I know it's going to take failure. And I know that the other thing with that is that not everyone's going to need or have that same level of care. Yeah. that that's required that goes yeah, with it. So, but you know, what, what really conveys care to them? Oh, you're asking me that question. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm asking <laughs> what really conveys care to them in that regards and how can you, you know, does it have to be a phone call? Is that the only way to convey care to them? Or is there another way to communicate right. with them? Yeah. I think that also like comes back to like when they're onboarding, like figuring out ways to like, if you can figure out what their love languages are early on, yeah. you know, one of my leaders just sent me a handwritten note and I just, it, yeah. it means so much to me. This is like the best gift that he, that they could have given me. Yeah. And, um, I'm just so thankful for, for that. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure there's others where like, man, all I probably need to do is send them a handwritten note. And there's others that like sending them that cof- coffee gift card or sending them, you know, that gift or, yeah. um, doing something for them, knowing that like, man, they just had a kid. I, I should really send a meal over to them just to give them a night off and, yeah. and, and things like that. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's great. But hey, there's there we a great go. quote in the book, actually, yeah. uh, where he says, trusting others doesn't mean they won't make mistakes. It means that if they do, or even if you do, you trust that they will act to help solve it. Feel, fear can be created quickly. Trust can't. Uh, leaders must demonstrate their trustworthiness over time through their actions. And the best way to do that is by responding well to failure. Mm. And so I think, you know, one of the things I have learned is that how I respond to failure repeatedly 
man, that says way more than my words ever could. You know, yeah. how I make people feel, you know, the, the feedback that I give them, how I give feedback. And, and it, when it comes to uh, addressing failure, it's always important, I believe, that we make them feel like they're the most important thing, not the task or not the job yeah. uh, of what That's we're trying to point. create or what we're trying to do. And so how we do that as a leader, you know, the culture, again, it comes back to culture, the culture we create as leaders it's our responsibility to do that. And, you know, we just can't expect people to trust us just because we're the perceived leader or the pastor or the small group point person, whatever it may be. We yeah. have to create that. And, you know, he says also you got to be patient and authentic and consistent. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that I've, I've seen modeled for me uh, well. Uh, I've mentioned, you know, Bill Edmonds has been my mentor Um you know, church I was previously at where, you know, he's just showed a lot of grace to me. You know, he would, when I was learning to do some of the trainings, discipleship pathways that we were developing, you know, he would always give me really good feedback. And he always let, made me feel like I was, my development was more important than the thing we were creating or the job of the church per se. Yeah. Now he always held discipleship and training in our class 101, 201, 304. And he always held that in high and high value, right? But he never made me feel as though that was more important than me. And so that's your job as a leader. That's my job as a leader to create that space. And I'm reading another book actually right now. And uh, 100 Things Every Bama Fan Needs to Know, right? And so, you know, this ties in really well. (laughs) Just give me patience just for a moment. Yeah. Listen, the, the show that comes on next on Group Talk is the college football one where they talk college football. Hmm. But go ahead. Okay. Thanks. So, you know, one of the things Nick Saban said actually in his first, you know, talk with the with the players, I believe it was, as it said in this book here, he says this. He says, as soon as something goes wrong, you have to be the kind of person where you can focus on the next play. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we can continue to improve on and have more players on the team be able to do that on a consistent basis because that's what's helped you win. So what he's saying there is like, as a player and as a team, there's two perspectives of this, right? So as a player, you know, you jump off sides, you do, you know, um, ball start, you fumble the ball, whatever. You have to be the player to quickly reset and not let that failure bring you down. You can't keep focusing on, ah, oh, I did this, I got to make sure to this right. And so you, you got to be able to reset really quick and think about, yeah, I just messed that up, but here's what I'm getting ready to do now and I got to execute the fundamentals right now. But the other part is a teammate as a teammate, you can't hold the team members. You know, you can't keep that over their head, so to speak. So we all have a responsibility as a team to create this culture. And you as a person, as an individual, you have a responsibility to own. The only thing that you can own is how you respond to that. But then also as a team member, you got to create a culture where we don't hold failure over one of those heads, but we come alongside of each other, make each other better and just say, dude, I believe in you. You're going to yeah. knock this next play out of the park, so to speak. Yeah, and so that, we have that responsibility in the church to create that type of environment as well. That That's fantastic. It made me think of, you know, one of the things I got to share on the last episode of Group Talk United, which which aired at the end of December. What you just described is character development. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not going to be able to control the circumstances that have in, that we have in life. But the thing that we do have control of is our character. This year has been really testing us as to who we actually are and what and, and who we can be, um, given mm-hmm. given our circumstances that are so extreme. 
and volatile. But I think then this kind of leads into another kind of very important point from this book. And it's being able to handle change and randomness Mm. that like we're not always going to know what's coming next or we want predictable environments. And so I loved like one of the things that they shared about inside of Pixar is that constantly trying to push it forward on these technology uh, initiatives and things Mm. like that. But along the way, things happen that they don't have control of. And so Mm. you think that you want your path to productivity to be linear, but that you really need to scrap that and just be ready for the change and randomness when it comes. Um, One of the quotes that, that Ed shares in this says self-interest guides opposition to change, but lack of self-awareness fuels it even more. Mm. Once you master any system, you typically become blind to its flaws. Even if you can't see them, they appear far too complex and intertwined to consider changing. Um, I, I think this is just really good for groups as well, just because, you know, once we get in something a lot, it gets really hard for us to then evaluate as well. It kind of comes back to what you're sharing too about like getting that that honest feedback mm-hmm. uh, a, as well. But anything else that you would add to this? Yeah, you know, when you talk about you know, change and randomness, you know, change for change's sake, no one likes, but also yeah. there's sometimes within randomness, like we need to be okay with the random because sometimes in the randomness is when we learn some little nuances that really help mm-hmm. us become better. But I do believe this to be true is the longer you live with a problem, the more impossible that problem becomes to change. Interesting. And I think there's many different factors in that was because at some point we just become like, well, that's a, we just got to learn to deal with it because it's never going to change. And then we probably convince ourselves that it's just too complex to change. And so then we find try to think about ways to just live with it. But how do we embrace change and randomness and what can we learn from that? But also how do we recognize our blind spots? There's this perceived reality of how you perceive yourself versus the reality of how others perceive you. The gap between the two of how you perceive yourself versus how they actually perceive you, that's your blind spot. And so as a leader, you have the responsibility to discover your blind spot Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I've recognized like that's an area. So I've got to be able to ask feedback from other people around me. And I've got a story that kind of relates with that is that, you know, a blind yeah, I was gonna say, what does this look like in your life? Yeah. So the way this looks like in my life, you know, I remember, you know, one of our campuses, it was um, spread out. And so we have multiple venues on this one campus. And, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, my personality, you know, it could just be like, OK, we got to get this done. So I moved from point A to mm-hmm. point B. And like the quickest way to get there is a straight line. And so you could yep. walk through what we call the mall area where people gathered and there could be hundreds of people out there in that mall area. And I can just be focused on getting point A to point B and with nothing but blinders on just walk straight and as quick as I can. And, and actually a, a group member came up one day and, you know, we were just chatting and, you know, it's a fir- actually the first chance I got to talk with this guy. And I'm like, dude, you know, how, how, how have we not met before? And he's like, dude, you're not approachable. I'm like, oh man. I'm like, so I'm like, what can you, and instead of being offended by that, I had to say, well, wow, can you tell me more? Yeah. You know, and he says, well, when, when you walk to the mall area, it's just like you're focused. You can tell you're thinking about something. You know, he says, I, you know, I know that, you know, we're a larger church and we've got multiple things going on. He says, but, you know, we've never talked with us. I've never felt like I could approach you because you're always busy. And so what yeah. that told me is I had a blind spot that while I thought I was doing my job, my job as a pastor is to care for people. And I can't care mm-hmm. for people if I'm not approachable. 
Yeah. Because if I'm not being approachable, you can't care for people that don't even want to be around you, so to speak. So I had to learn and recognize that the people is the most important thing. And yeah, I had to learn to walk slower, keep my head on a swivel, not in a really awkward way, but just walk slower and make eye contact with people. Yeah. One of the things I would add in here too, that I think is really important. I mean, this is now twice that we're talking about how important it is for group directors, group point, mm-hmm. your small group point people, us. Yeah. How important that Sunday morning is in the relationship that you have with your leaders and man, approachability is a huge one because they're not going to come to you if you think that you're interrupting them or whatever, or yeah. interrupting them or, uh, you know, oh, he has a task. I can't distract him right now yeah. kind of thing. And I think the other thing that I used to have to wrestle with too, is that like, I couldn't be present with the person in front of me because I was constantly looking through them to see what was the next conversation I need to go to. Yes. To like actually hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that like, so, I mean, there, there's, yeah. I mean, we probably could have a whole podcast in there at some point of, you of know, just we really could. And Jesus really models Sundays. that well for us, right? When yeah. He's going to, you know, to, to heal the child that's sick. And as he's walking through uh, with his people, a crowded spot, a woman touches his robe and he just stops to be present in the moment. But, uh, you know, he's present in the moment. So you're, Jesus, I don't see that Jesus walked around with this just focused look, just going from, you know, one town to the next, so to speak. Yeah. But being approachable, that yeah. that's on me to, to recognize that. And, you know, instead of getting offended when somebody says you're not approachable to be able to say, Hey, just, yeah, you know, I didn't want, I didn't like hearing it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, I probably didn't even actually, I know I didn't agree with him, you know, yeah. but I had to have the presence to say, Hey, tell me more. I'm going to piggyback off something else that you talked about and, t- and take us into our next point. But okay. one of the things that you were talking about too, is on Sunday, how you're, you were focused on the process and you wanted to get to the next one and make sure that things are going good and, mm-hmm. and, and make sure that this, this church feels great and all these things. And, and, and doing so you're missing all the people. And one of the things that they share inside this book that's really powerful is that the process is not the goal. Making mm, something yeah. great is the goal. And that comes into our ministry so much. I know me personally, I really struggle with, I'm a big structure and, mm-hmm. and like the, the strategy, those thing kind of things really excite me. And I can really be focused on, man, how are we going to get people from here to there? And uh, you know, all these things and in doing that, like I can just miss the people along the way mm-hmm. or, um, miss out on like what makes things special because I'm just so focused on the process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for those that struggle with perfectionism too, I know that we'll bulldoze something great as well because mm-hmm. it's not perfect. Yeah. One of the things that really slows down creativity is not being willing to put out something that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Really recent example of this in, inside our own churches, you know, so we were doing a review of 2020 because uh, it's the start of the year and I was doing it with my team. And one of the things that they talked about was, hey, we were really glad that we put out that video curriculum last fall, even though it wasn't perfect. We're just so glad it got done. And it was really good to hear that because I think it just captures this this point too, a little bit of like making sure that like something gets out there. Mm-hmm. because you have the opportunity to continue to improve it as you, as you go along, instead of just constantly holding on to it and waiting till it's perfection for it to be, for mm-hmm. it to be released. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's spot on. So much wisdom there for us all to, to learn from. And then one of the, the last points that I kind of want to hit on personally, I'll let you end up ending if you have any other points, but 
that was a really good, great theme throughout this whole book was how important honesty and candor is within Pixar. Mm. So one of the things that Pixar does is that they have a lot of brainstorming sessions. And one of the reasons that they work so well is the honesty and candor. Mm-hmm. And I also loved in the back of the book, he has like all these like proverbs that are pretty much back here. There was one that said, if there's more truth in the hallways than in the meetings, you have a problem. Mm. And Man, did that like scream out to me of like, I think I've been that hallway talker sometimes where it's just Mm -hmm. like, I'm not bringing out inside of a meeting the Mm -hmm. things that I'm actually feeling, you know, and and being honest and candid. And I just mean that we rip people down. But like, I think one of the things it talks about too the difference between criticism and constructive criticism is the ability to inspire others through what we're what we're uh, doing you know that wasn't great so let me actually just read the quote from that section and so this is from andrew stanton who is the director of finding nemo um he's one of the early founding he was a part of toy story and that too so he's a real critical part but he says the difference between criticism and constructive criticism with the latter you're constructing at the same time that you're criticizing You're building as you're breaking down, making new pieces work without the stuff you've just ripped apart. And that is an art form in itself. I always feel like whatever notes you're giving should inspire the recipient. Like, Mm. how did I get that kid to redo his homework? So you've got to act like a teacher. Sometimes you talk about the problem in 50 different ways, but until you find that one sentence that you can see makes their eyes pop as if they're thinking, oh, I want to do that instead of saying... The writing in the sentence isn't good enough. You say, don't you want people to walk out of the theater and quoting those lines? It's more of a challenge. Isn't that what you want? It's what I want to. And Mm -hmm. I I just love that of like bringing the inspiration into it. You know, I think one of the things you're absolutely right, Nick, far as creating this, this culture that embraces creativity and solving problems, honesty and candor is, is vital. And we got to have a, a space where we don't just hear more truth in the hallway than we do in the meeting. But so when you think about that, what is the cause of me to shut up in the meeting? Like, why don't I feel the freedom to share the truth in the meeting? It's because there's been a culture that's created where I don't feel that, mm-hmm. that freedom. But, but here's another thing that I've, that I think that I've learned is this, is that sometimes we want to use honesty as a reason to not necessarily be a bully, but sometimes, especially if with a type D personality or, or a strong personality, you just we just want to get to the point and get there quick. And so oftentimes that comes across as being way too blunt and that can be very hurtful to people. And so but our responsibility as a leader isn't to communicate just out of our sweet spot, but we've got to learn how to communicate from their sweet spot. So it's not their responsibility to learn how to read me as a leader. It's my responsibility to learn how to communicate to them in a way that it's going to they're going to, you know, hear it. And that it's going to add value to them. So when we talk about honesty and candor, it's just like I can be honest and be wrong in the way that I say it. And so when we talk, you talk about constructive criticism, you know, versus just criticism in general. I think it's that like we can say the truth. We can point out a problem. We can point out a flaw. We can, you know, and, and for the sake of like, I want to be true. I want to be honest. I'm just going to tell you point blank what it is. <laughs> but, you know, I think for me, as I think about that and was I read through the book, I thought, how does this apply in the church? Well, it's a lot like conviction versus condemnation, like condemnation mm, says, you know, you're worthless. You suck. You just can't do this. Well, I don't know if I should have said that. Sorry if I offended you, but let's move on. Uh, <laughs> but that's what condemnation is, right? I'm from New Jersey. So you just said a bunch of PG words. So yeah, continue. It's really, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so 
but versus, you know, conviction by the Holy Spirit. Conviction says, man, Daniel, this is, yeah, you know what? You probably could have done better and here's where you might've missed it. But man, I created you to do such better job than that. And you know what? I'm going to trust you to make it right this time. And like that's, you know, constructive criticism adds value to somebody. You're speaking yes. the tr- truth, but how you say it really does matter. So as leader, yeah. that's your responsibility to create that culture. Yeah, it totally. And I think it's it's such a key element that it's one of the things I'm thankful that my core team has that in my staff. And mm-hmm. it's something that I want to see move into my director's meetings with the other directors to like bring this value into there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I'm, I'm definitely gonna be watching out for because it makes such a difference. Like, like I shared earlier, we were doing the review of last year yeah. and it's really helpful when you, when you're facing hard questions. So like one of the questions that we had last night was, you know, what was one thing that seemed to foster low morale or lack of positivity? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't need my team to come to me and fluff that up and make it seem right. Like if we're going to, we're going to create a mm-hmm. better team, like we're going to have to be honest with each other and yeah. learn from that. So spot on. Yeah. All right, Daniel, anything else that you wanted to hit before we, we uh, wrap up? And it really should go without saying, just continuing to learn. And I love one of the things that he mentions in the book about how as long as we're comfortable in the familiar and we stay within the familiar, we never discover the new and we never discover mm-hmm. the, what's going to help us to, to making something great. Yeah, I think that's really good. And and maybe like I know this question is rolling through my brain. And so maybe it is for you as an audience member, but you're, you might be asking yourself, you're thinking about your ministry. Well, how can I how can I experiment? How can I do these things? And I think one of the things that's really valuable from this book that I learned that I think is super important that I've seen us try inside uh, what we do within our groups, but Pixar is really passionate about shorts. Mm. They call them short experiments. And so what I mean by shorts is like, they're usually five minute movies. And if you've ever seen a Pixar movie inside the studio or sorry, inside the theaters, you know that every movie opens with a five minute, five Mm. minute short Um, side point. My favorite one is called lava. Um, it's one of my favorites. It's about a volcano who falls in love with another volcano. Thus I lava you, but it is (laughs) fantastic. Um, (laughs) but, um, so they talk about like, so they, they asked the, you know, he's sharing, why do we do shorts? So like, it seems Mm -hmm. like that's a waste of money. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he talks about shorts are an excellent way to one, remember who we were and how we started. Right. Mm -hmm. Two, it was a, it was a ground for them to find new talent. It yeah. was a way for them to experience experiment on new technology without, you know, having to do, you know, a full feature would be a hundred million dollars. Whereas a short is two to $5 million or $10 million, you know, much, much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a concept that we could build into our groups as well, where sometimes, you know, we really get disappointed with an element that we have within our groups and it's really tempted to just throw everything away and start over. And I, I want to challenge the listener that maybe the thing that would be really valuable for you is to to beta or start a short experiment with, you know, a couple groups and see how those changes go before Mm -hmm. you bring it into everyone. And um, I I think, you know, just another really quick example of this is sometimes like I think that's pretty relevant that I see inside our Facebook group is which database do we go to? And. Mm I think some churches would do best if they would, I know it gets a little expensive, but like 
you should probably try out the data other database before you move everyone over and figure out like mm-hmm. what are the what are the things that we're going to lose along the way or what are the things that we're going to gain because you know you get on those sales call and they do such a great job of telling you to walk away from one of those yeah. other databases that you just end up you end up losing the trust and then mm-hmm. like there you are two years later trying to figure out which one you're going to go to next. And uh, to save you time, um, they all aren't great. So if they all have elements that are awesome and they all have elements that are just really difficult. So, yeah. <laughs> and and the great thing about the power of sorts too, I think is that it's a great way to practice failure, right? Yeah. You know, so if, if you fail on a, if you fail on an experiment, it's, it, it, it gives you more freedom yeah, uh, to feel like, Hey, if, if I mess up, that's okay. But I may learn something amazing here that really just knocks it out of the park. Hey, there's one, there's one more thing, actually, Nick, I'd love to just really cool. quick hit on. And this is one of the big takeaways I walked away with too. So if you read the book, I'd highly recommend it. But you know, we talk, you talk about this, about the process isn't the most important thing, but get the team right. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a, necess- a great precursor to getting the ideas right. Uh, yeah. And he says in the book, he says, it's easy to say that you want talented people and you do, but the way those people interact with one another is the real key. And even the smartest yep. people can form an ineffective team. And, but he goes on to say a good team is made up of people who complement one another. And so let me just paraphrase that in a sense that oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this, right? When I, you know, 20 years in the restaurant industry, you know, you'd want to get the smartest people around. You'd want to get the best uh, management team together that was the the best at what they did right but having the smartest people around on the team doesn't make the best team but how do they actually complement one another you can have a lot of intelligent people the smartest people in the room so to speak and if they don't complement each other if they don't work well together as a team focus on getting the team right and mm-hmm. then the ideas that's presented just get even better yeah Cool. Love it. All right. So we've reached our lightning round, which is the end here. I have some, some quick questions for you. So our first one is what's another book that you've read recently that's had an impact on your leadership? Uh, Principles, Ray Dalio, uh, Life and Work is the subtitle of that book. And and what in particularly had an impact on you? Yeah. You know, really thinking strategically about what is what principles do I live by? And these principles, rather than making decisions based on emotions or what I think, uh, what are yeah. the proven, proven principles in life that... Uh, have have actually proven when I live by this principle, then this happens. And so he breaks down these principles that he used to build his company, but also principles by which he lived his life. And mm-hmm. I believe this is true about that book. And one of the things I walked away from with that is too, is there was just a realization that I really never quit, you know, thought gave that much thought, but it challenged me to give it a lot of thought and to really think about, man, what, what are my guiding principles and how am I making decisions? And oftentimes we just make decisions in life by how we feel. Uh, yeah. And our feelings often fail us miserably. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to put that one on my short list here. And then uh, what's one book you're looking forward to? What's next for you? Yeah, Marcus Buckingham. It's uh, I believe it's oh. Nine Lies About Work. Yeah. Uh, something about free thinking, but it's just next up. No, I love Marcus <laughs> Buckingham and his stuff, but it's just kind of what's next up on the list for me. Yeah. Did you do Strength Finders? I did, yeah. What, what is your strength? Fires, but the one that I really like uh, is one that Marcus Buckingham did is stand out because I just stand out. A, yeah. Stand out 2.0. Yeah. He just did a great job of uh, helping me understand the strengths. Right. Cause he worked on strengths finders, you know? And yeah. so, but that stand out, you know, for me, I'm a, 
influencer and equalizer. And so cool. that helped me to really see myself uh, differently and helped Mine. me to accept that. Okay. So yeah, I'm different, but I, this mine is, is connector and I can't remember what the other one is. Yeah. But so it's great. Cool. Well, Daniel, this was great. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to say thank you for listening with us. Thanks, Daniel, for sharing your experiences. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. And remember, leaders are readers. Take care, everyone.